0: We continue in our study of the Gospel of John, and we are now in chapter 12. I commence reading from verse 1 from the English Standard Version. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, said was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nerd and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and give to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what what was put into the bag. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor, you will always have with you, but do not always, but you do not always have me." When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus Christ. We end our reading there. Continuing in our studies in the book of John, this morning we come to verse 9 through to verse 11 of John chapter 12 last month which is exactly two weeks ago when when i was preaching we had considered verse one through to verse eight and there we saw what our, what i was calling the great devotion demonstrated and this devotion was seen in the acts of mary uh, uh, before the lord before the multitude towards the lord jesus christ and we learned something from our actions. We first of all saw that she willingly gave she was willing, she willingly demonstrated her love for the Lord Jesus Christ before everyone that was gathered. She showed that whatever it is she owned, this expensive ointment was nothing in comparison to the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ we also saw that she had high regard for the Lord Jesus Christ. She used expensive ointment on the feet of Christ and then wiped that ointment with her own hair. And we saw something in that that as we are told in 1 Corinthians 11 that a woman's crown is her hair, yet Mary uses that which she regards as a crown to wipe the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we said, humanly speaking, it would be considered as the deities part of the Lord Jesus Christ's body. Because the feet is what he would use to walk the streets of Bethany. And Mary, in her action, was demonstrating her devotion uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, the question that was posed to all of us is this: Are you willing to demonstrate your love before the, the world for your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you willing to go to any length as the scriptures revealed to us to show that Christ is of a greater value to you than any earthly possession or than any earthly treasures that you own. But more importantly, are you willing to demonstrate your love in response to your salvation given to you in Christ Jesus? This morning, we move to verse 9 through to verse 8. 11. And really what we are seeing in this passage Is what I'm calling the inescapable evidence The inescapable evidence Now these verses tell us That as a result of Jesus' miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead Lazarus had become an important evidence that jesus christ was right in all his teachings in all his claims and that the rulers of the people were wrong in their teachings and in their claims Now lord jesus christ has done john demonstrates in his gospel he shows to us that all these things were recorded so that we may believe that jesus Is the Christ and so here we see another of those John's narrative pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ as one who claimed to be who he was the saviour of the world and so this narrative rings with a tone of irony that Jesus went to Judea, risking his own life to give life to Lazarus. And now Lazarus' new life may cost him his own life. And so John records so that we see that Jesus came to give life and life in its abundance. But also see that John records for us the paradigm for discipleship and he shows for us that anyone who desires to follow the Lord Jesus Christ must be prepared to suffer scorn from unbelievers and must be prepared to die for their faith. The world will hate them and will wish even to kill them. But faith will not decrease by such threats or actions from unbelievers. And we see this John records for us. But what I want us to focus our attention on this morning is that how Lazarus became an inescapable evidence of the great work of the lord jesus christ in his life how that lazarus became this inescapable evidence of everything that jesus said to be everything that jesus said he would do everything that the scriptures say about what the messiah would do and we see this in the life of Lazarus. And this is what he teaches us. That those who've experienced the great work of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who've experienced the life-transforming grace of Christ, will become an inescapable evidence to the world of what it means to be transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we make our way through these verses, ask yourself this question. When people look at me, do they see me as a living, inescapable evidence of the grace of God upon my life? Does my life point people to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or does my, my claims My salvation claims Point people away From Christ So let's open up those verses From verse 9 through to verse 11 The first thing We learn from Lazarus life Is that he he had Become what I'm calling An irresistible Attraction An irresistible Attraction Read with me slowly and carefully Verse 9 When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Lazarus had become an irresistible attraction. And John is so careful to record for us in his narration. That when the large crowds of the Jews, when they heard that Jesus was in Bethany, they were going there, yes, to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus. Maybe out of curiosity. Or maybe they went to see Lazarus, And to hear what it was like to be brought back from the dead. But what John records for us is that a large crowd of Jews went there to see Jesus. Not only to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And John wants us to note that no one could pretend that the resurrection of Lazarus or the bringing back to life of Lazarus by the Lord Jesus Christ was a mere optical delusion. It was a fact. It happened. And so here was Lazarus after several days sitting among his fellow men with a real material body. Eating and drinking. Real physical food. And the text says. Large crowds of Jews. We are gathering. We are coming to Bethany. Not just to see Jesus whom they had seen before, but also to see Lazarus, whom, had, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so whatever it is that drove these people, curiosity or wanting to learn, the point is this, Lazarus had become an irresistible attraction. Everyone wanted to see him. Everyone wanted to to prove for themselves. Everyone wanted to be where Lazarus was and where Jesus Christ was. But the question we must ask, what made Lazarus to be an irresistible attraction? What made Lazarus to become an irresistible attraction. It's because Lazarus had been brought to life by the Lord Jesus Christ. Lazarus had been brought to life by the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when we were in chapter 11 we saw that He had been dead. And was buried and was in the tomb for four days. He had no hope of making any physical recovery. His siblings, Martha and Mary, had no hope of bringing him back to life. The doctors of the day had pronounced him dead and he was buried and he was in the tomb and they sealed the tomb. But Jesus came and raised Lazarus from the dead. He had called with a loud voice and Lazarus came forth from the dead. And because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring Lazarus back from the dead, this is what made him to become an irresistible attraction to those who heard what had happened to him. It was not because of anything in Lazarus, but it was because of the work of Christ on Lazarus. So we see that what made Lazarus to be an irresistible attraction was that Jesus had brought him back to life. But also note that Lazarus was with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was constantly with the Lord Jesus Christ. And John records that when you read chapter 12 and verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha saved and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Lazarus was with the Lord Jesus Christ. Present where Jesus was. And John stresses this out in verse 2. Imagine Lazarus being constantly by Jesus or by the side of Jesus in those days. Such that those who came to see Jesus saw Lazarus. And those who came to see Lazarus saw Jesus Christ. So those who went to see Jesus Christ ended up seeing Lazarus. And those who went out of curiosity to see Lazarus unavoidably saw Jesus Christ. And John wants us to to see that. That Lazarus being with the Lord Jesus Christ meant that those who have whatever motive it is that drove them to come to the house in Bethany Ended up seeing Lazarus and the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, having that opportunity to see Lazarus and Jesus Christ, would like to believe that I ended up having an opportunity to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what made Lazarus to be an irresistible attraction. Jesus' power on Lazarus. And Lazarus' constant time or abiding with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what lessons can we draw from that? We cannot say that we've been brought back to physical life by the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us can say that they died and then they were brought back to life like Lazarus. But we've been, we all were dead spiritually. Ephesians 2, chapter, 1, chapter 2, verse 1, says that we are dead in sin and trespasses. This is what the Bible teaches us. And that being dead in sin and trespasses, we were without hope, just like Lazarus. We could not do anything about our state. We could not bring ourselves back to life. And then Jesus... And out of our sins we were made alive to him. By the power of the the grace of God in Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We were brought to life. This is the case of all those who say they are Christians. They were dead in sin and trespasses. With no hope of saving themselves. They were dead. Spiritually dead. And Christ called out. Called you by name. You heard his voice. And you came forth. And your life was changed. There was a total transformation. Made alive. By Jesus Christ. And consequently, you too can be an attraction by which others may find Jesus Christ. You too have been made alive from death to life, from sin to life. And you too, like Lazarus, can be an irresistible attraction of the power of God in your life. And when others come close to you, they end up seeing Jesus because of your life. Are you helping others? To see Jesus Christ. To the degree that you spend time with him. As you spend time with Jesus. In his word. By the power of his Holy Spirit. You are becoming more and more like him. And therefore. Becoming an attraction. Of the grace of God. In your life. Are you a living, inescapable evidence of the work of grace in you? Can people testify that on account of your life, your godly life, on account of your godly example, on account of your devotion to your Savior, many have come to know Christ because of you. The grace of God in Christ Jesus brings about a total radical change in a person. And that change cannot be hidden. It is light coming from inside of you. And as it comes from inside of you, it's showing the world who truly resides in your heart. And that change cannot be hidden. The grace of God brings a radical change. Is this true of you? You say you're a Christian. Are you that irresistible attraction that others, when they look at your life, they can testify of a change and that change can only be attributed to the work of God. Not because of your morality, but because of the grace of God. If this is not true of you, it may well mean that you've never experienced that radical change that only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Christian life cannot be hidden. It's a radical change. And John wants us to take note of that. The second thing we, we note is that true faith in Christ Jesus is a threat to unbelievers. true faith in Christ Jesus is a threat to unbelievers. Verse 10 So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. The chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. And so John records for us that the ecclesiastical leadership was downright hostile and aimed to kill them both, to kill Jesus and Lazarus. They could not deny the fact that Lazarus had been brought back to life because he was living Moving, eating and drinking within two miles of Jerusalem. He lived with them and and news had spread that he who had been dead was brought to life. And people saw him and John records for us here that was actually dining at dinner with Christ. Christ. A man who had been four days in the tomb was brought to life and Lazarus was a witness to the truth of Christ's messiahship. And the religious leaders could not possibly silence him or, or even answer to him. They could not put him to be silent because Lazarus had experienced that power of Christ and, as, and was living amongst them. And yet these men would not give in, would not give away. They would rather commit a murder. And John shows us that Lazarus had become a threat to the religious leaders of the day. Remember in chapter 11 when Caiaphas said to to the chief priests, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said it was better for one man to die than for the whole nation to perish. And now here, they are just content with one man, they want to kill two and as you read the scriptures in the book of acts were not just content to kill one and two they were content to kill anyone who associated himself with the name of Christ the religious leaders the unbelievers the chief priests were threatened by Lazarus. He was a threat to these men. And William Buckley in his in his commentary says that Lazarus was a threat to to these men in two ways. He was a threat to them politically. Because the chief priests was a group of wealthy upper leaders of the Jewish people. They were the top upper class of the people of the day and they had much to lose. In Roman, in the time of the, of, the, of the gospel, in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, when Rome was a superpower, in Roman times, a conquered people were allowed to govern themselves as the Jews were, but any uprising, even a small civil disobedient disobedience, rather, meant that the Roman soldiers would come into a region or into a town and put to an end of that uprising, that civil disobedience, and the way they would do it is by Executing the rebels and then removing those who are in authority, those who had been been tasked with the responsibility of ensuring peace in the region, and so the chief priests saw Jesus as the leader of a potential rebellion. And everything he did inflamed the situation so they believed. And the the rising of Lazarus inflamed it the most. Remember, these were the days of the Passover. And excitement was running high. So politically, the chief priests were threatened that if Rome was to hear, they will come, kill the rebels, but they will remove us from power. But the second thing is that Lazarus was a threat to these men theologically. He was a threat to these men because of their religious views, because of their theology the presence of the resurrected Lazarus was a major embarrassment for the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. And it is believed that among the chief priests, the majority of them were the Sadducees. And they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. In the Gospels account, those are the individuals that went to ask the Lord Jesus Christ about a woman who was married to seven men while she was alive. The husband dies, she gets married. Another one dies, she gets married. And they're asking, so whose husband is she going to be in the resurrection? And you remember the answer of the Lord Jesus Christ? That after the resurrection, there will be neither marrying or being given in marriage. It is this group that did not believe in the resurrection. Now they are being faced with a Lazarus who has been brought back to life. And and news was making its way. And so he became a threat theologically. He was a challenge to their religious views. The views that they promoted and taught were now being questioned, being challenged by this man Lazarus. And as John records for us, he's basically showing to us that as the chief priest consulted themselves and made plans, their conclusion was, let's kill Jesus and Lazarus as well. true faith in Christ is a threat to unbelievers. Because the faith we have in Christ challenges the different views of those who are not believers. Be it political, be it their traditional, cherished views. And so what we see here is that perverse behavior is not something that makes sense. And these leaders would go to any length to defend their positions of rebellion against God's truth although they were claiming to be doing it for God. So for them, the solution to their problems was murder. They started with a plan to kill Jesus. But Lazarus had become a threat. They added him to a list. And the list would continue to grow. When you read the book of Acts, many were being put to death. And this is what we see throughout the history of the world. That those who are sought and light, those who promote peace, those who promote the moral, those who help by preserving the moral decay of the society, those become threats to those who are unbelievers. Because light cannot compete with darkness. And therefore, darkness seeks to distinguish the light. This is the case always. Read church history. Darkness and light cannot tolerate one another. And so each will seek to eradicate, to eradicate totally the other. Sin is always upside down. In the case of the religious leaders, plotting the murders of two innocent men was believed to be just. In church history, religious leaders would, would go for those who believe solely in Christ that salvation is Christ alone and they would hunt them and put them to death of these religious leaders rejoicing that these men and women are standing for Christ standing from the scriptures because they are unbelievers their testimony was a threat to their lives and so they would seek to eradicate them and don't be surprised if you become a threat to those around you because of your faith, light and darkness cannot mix. They cannot dwell in one room. So when you're at your workplace, in your community, in your families, at school, Don't be surprised when everyone around you seems to have to look at you as a threat. It's because of the presence of Christ in your life. It is Christ that the world hates, and you, being a follower of Christ, becomes a threat to those around you. Because Christians are not out there to create a rebellion. They are simply leaving their faith before men. And they become a threat. Light and darkness do not mix. And so if your testimony with its clear logic and blameless experience strikes home to the hearts of those around you and they begin to look at you as a threat, don't be surprised. The world hated Christ faith. Be prepared to be called names for the sake of your testimony, let your light shine. Let them see Christ in you. They will hate you. They will call you names. They will possibly put you to death. But your God. is there. And anyone who lives their life in faithfulness to him on that day will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But the opposite is true. If you say you are a Christian and you are not a threat to unbelievers then you need to really ask yourself a question. Have I truly been saved? If everyone is so comfortable with you around, if everyone is okay and your presence is not a threat in any way, if anyone continues to live their lives comfortably, ask yourself a question whether truly you've known the grace of God or maybe you've compromised your faith. Here we see, Lazarus had not even said anything. He was simply living his life in constant fellowship with Christ. And the religious leaders were busy plotting behind the scene to get rid of him. But he was just simply living his life in full view of what Christ had done to him. And the third thing we see quickly is that true faith in Christ is a blessing to many who believe. True faith in Christ is a blessing to many who believe. Verse 11. Because on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one final thing we learn about Lazarus. And it is for this reason perhaps above all that Christ's enemies wish to destroy him. We've already seen that Lazarus was an attraction. We've seen that he had become a threat. But here we notice that was also becoming a blessing because on account of him many of the Jews were going away and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the religious leaders began to notice that because of Christ and then because of Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead by Christ, many of the Jews were no longer following the teachings of the Pharisees, were now beginning to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these religious leaders, instead of rejoicing, began to see Lazarus and Jesus as a problem. Lazarus was a man alive because of Christ. A man reclining with Christ. A man identifying himself with Christ. And because of his life, of his testimony, many of the Jews were going away and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. True faith is a blessing to many who believe. Because true faith in Christ brings hope to the world. Hope to lost sinners. As I look at your life and they're able to see how once upon a time you lived a life in rebellion against God, in the stupors of sin, you drank sin, you pursued sin, you treasured sin, and everything about you was sin. And then a time came. When the voice of Christ, that irresistible call of salvation was heard and you saw yourself as a sinner in desperate need of salvation and Christ transformed your life and everyone was surprised at the change that came about. And every day as you live your life, you are testifying of the joy that has come into your life because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I see you, and I see every day, you are growing in grace and becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Once upon a time you were a person who lacked self-control and now by the power of the Holy Spirit you have self-control. Once upon a time you are one who loved sin and pursued sin and now you are a man who hates sin and everything to do with sin. Once upon a time you are one who had nothing to do with anything religious, no church involvement and now you become a man who would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than spend time elsewhere. And as those around you see your life, yes, they may tease you, they may call you names, but in the silence of their hearts, they can testify to a real change that has happened in your life they can see that change. And as they see that change, and as I inquire from you, you you're able to point them to Christ. This is what true faith does. It's a blessing to many who believe. It brings hope. It speaks of forgiveness. It shows that the Son of God left the realms of heaven, came into this world, lived a perfect life, and died so that in his death you may become the righteousness of God. And as the world hears this news and they see the change, they too are drawn to Christ. Some even become saved. And those who become saved, they can testify that true faith in Christ is a great blessing. And they would say to one another, the world needs to hear this news. And they muster themselves to spread the good news to the world. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And as many are being saved, and as many are hearing the gospel, they are being given the right to become children of God. True faith is a blessing. It's a blessing to many who believe. And the application is straightforward. Has anyone believed in in Christ because of you? Because of your testimony? Because of your life? Has anyone been drawn to your faith because of the example, the godly example that you've been exhibiting by His grace every day? May we pray that God will grant us that this will be true of each one of us, that our lives our testimonies will be a means which God will use to bring many to himself. May God cause that as you spend time with him in his word, the light of the gospel will shine and the world will see and will come to Christ. Is your life an inescapable evidence of the grace of God? Is your life a reflection of the joys that salvation brings? Are you living and spending time in the service of God? Are you living every day basking in the assurance of that everlasting love? And as the world sees you, they can see the peace that surpasses understanding. Are you spreading? The glad glad tidings. Wherever man is found. Is this true of us? Are we a living evidence of the grace of God? The hymn will be singing in closing shortly. The hymn writer says, All spread the the tidings round. Wherever man is found, But the comforter has come. And it says in one of the stanzas, Sing till the echoes fly Above the vaulted sky so that and all the saints below and all the saints above may all sing together that the comforter has come. And let it begin with you, as the hymn writer says, that I, a child of hell, in God's image I can shine. And the reason I can shine, it's because the comforter has come the Holy Ghost from heaven, the Father's promise given, all spread the tiding rounds. Wherever man is found, the Comforter has come. Oh, that God may cause our lives to be the inescapable evidence that the King is in residence in your heart. Amen.